Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Welcome, everyone, to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. Uh, we'll be talking tonight with Chastin Buttigieg. I got both of his names correctly there. I think. You did. That Thank was you. impressive. Whew. Bring down the curtain now because I won't do it again. Um, we'll be talking with him about the new young adults version of his memoir, I Have Something to Tell You, as you can see the book right there, uh, which is going to be released next week. Am I correct? Yes. Tuesday the 16th. Great. Um, we owe a big thanks to our friends at TransClinique tonight, whose support helped make tonight's program possible. Also, this part, this program is part of our Bernard Osher Good Lit program series. So thank you to the Bernard Osher Foundation. Um, at the Commonwealth Club, we are producing hundreds of programs a year on a wide variety of topics, online as well as mostly in-person programs right here at the Commonwealth Club. So head over to commonwealthclub.org for more upcoming programs, as well as video and audio from past events. You'll also, of course, find information for those of you who are not members and how you can join our wonderful club. Now let me introduce Michelle Miao, the host and producer of the Michelle Miao Show, as well as a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Hello, Michelle. Hello, everyone, and hello, John, and thank you so much. If you're uh, meeting me for the first time, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone <laughs> in between. Our special guest tonight doesn't need much of an intro, although I'll add a couple fun facts about him. Uh -oh. He drives a hybrid minivan sure. and is a doting dad to twins and uh, an extremely supportive husband. I mean, I, his marriage is still intact after his <laughs> husband, supporting his husband who ran for the toughest job in the United States. Um, he's an educator. He's an advocate. He's here to share something, to tell you something <laughs> with his new book. for and, and Well, I guess, you know, not new, but the second edition to his memoir for Young Adults Tonight. And we'll find out why there is even such a version for young adults. He is Chastin Buttigieg. Before, yes, yeah. Before we get into the discussion, though, we actually have a surprise. So back to you, John. Yes. Uh, so today uh, is not just the launch of this book tour. It is also in San Francisco, officially Chastin Buttigieg Day. What? Yep. What? This is the proclamation by Mayor London Breed. Oh, my gosh got a lot of words on it she there's not much very time wordy. london breed gets very wordy when she's praising people she likes but oh my god um suffice, suffice it to say praises you and your work wow your work for thank LGBT you people as well as understanding and helping young people and we are thrilled to have you here on chase chastin Judge day wow thank you so much how incredible Chastin Buttigieg Day for all who celebrate. For everyone, yeah. For all who celebrate, yeah. Yeah, on Chastin Buttigieg Day Eve, I was just so excited anticipating this whole, yeah. whole program. How so, lovely. I feel, I'm reading the small print just in case it comes with, you know, power. Just to you. If there's if spelling errors. today or something, yeah. Yeah. How cool. Isn't it? Wow. Yeah. How flattering. Great. Well, thanks for coming, everyone. It's so <laughs> Next year on this day, we'll all have t-shirts that says it's Chastin Buttigieg Day. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Club. Well, um, let's get started. Okay, so we mentioned that this is the young adult version that is coming out. And so not very many people write memoirs thinking about it in this way, where you would write a memoir for a certain set of folks, and then yeah. especially for young adults. So tell us why you decided that there needed to be a version for young adults. Yeah, the first book is absolutely accessible, I think, for, for high school students and uh, even some more mature uh, middle schoolers. This is the book that I wish I would have had in middle school. So I completely gutted the book. I rewrote it, um, infusing a lot more of adolescence stories uh, throughout my childhood and how this scared, closeted, terrified young man, you know, in rural conservative Michigan grew up to be uh, this very proud, open uh, advocate and well-known person who wants to use that platform to do good. And there's so much in there that I wish I just could have heard as a young person. Um, we did not talk about gay people growing up in rural conservative Michigan. I thought I was the only gay person in the world. And so much of this book is that gentle hand on the shoulder to remind young people that you are okay, just the way you are. There's nothing wrong with you. 
Um, and there will be heartbreak and there will be pain, um, but you will learn from it. You'll grow from it. Um, and so there's, there's some of that, you know, trauma in there. And there's all the goodness that came from learning to love myself along the way. So we don't want you to obviously have to tell the whole story of that's in the book, but yeah. take us back and set, set the, or give us a setting, if you will, of growing up in Michigan, where you were, your family life, what your family was like, and how that helped form you. My family was very insular. Uh, my, my dad uh, owns a small landscaping company, very well known in our community. Um, my mom worked shifts at the hospital and ran the family business. Uh, we, we spent most of our time outdoors. I was a 4-H kid, so I started with goats and worked my way up to, to cattle. Um, my parents really prided themselves with hard work, hands-on work, um, athletics, extracurricular activities, and we were always together. Um, we're always doing something. Uh, but I write in the book about how I felt like in order to be uh, successful, I had to pretend to be one type of person. And so that was the, you know, roughneck, outdoorsy uh, farm kid. You know, if you were, if you were a good Christian uh, boy, then, you know, you were a very certain type of good Christian boy. And I spent so much time focusing on playing all of those roles and trying to fit in and blend in because I was afraid that people would find out that secret about me. So I really did lean in on the 4-H. Uh, some of those pictures are traumatizing. The, the denim on denim with, you know, like the, the, the big Stetson and the belt buckles and was just so terrified that if every, anyone found, found out um, that I would lose everything. And so I just threw myself in all those extracurriculars. But my family really was a very, very loving family. I was just so worried that if they found out that secret about me, that I would lose them. You know, it's interesting here on the, the show, we actually do open up with our guests sharing a coming out story, however you identify, whether on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum or not. Uh, I feel like if we opened up with that, we would just go through the entire book. <laughs> and so, you know, very many different ways of coming out and to different people in your life at different points and times. But the story of coming out with your family, yeah. obviously, is a big deal. Um, you had already come out to yourself, some friends, even an ex-girlfriend. Mm -hmm. But coming out to your family is, is a story. Can we start with that? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I was an exchange student my senior year in high school, and it, I, I had learned about this scholarship to study abroad in Germany and threw myself at it because it was my ticket out of Michigan. Um, and I wanted to get as far away from, from everyone as possible. And it was that year in Germany that was so formative for me and um, really truly leaned into my identity and realized that I was indeed gay. And uh, when I came home, I came home with all that confidence. But then I came home to all the same people that I had left. Tell, tell if you would, the, the conversation with the German woman who basically said... You know, oh, yeah. I made this great friend in Germany. Her name is Franzi. Uh, we're still friends uh, today. And I had this girlfriend in Germany. I felt terrible because there was nothing romantic about it. And I was just, I felt awful. And I told her, I just, I feel terrible because I know I'm, I'm hurting somebody else. And, and this thing is eating me inside. And uh, I think I might be bisexual. Uh, and she was like, you can also be gay. <laughs> and it's like, it was so matter of fact yeah. and, and from a very loving place. It's like, there's nothing wrong with being gay. You don't have to pretend to be somebody that you're not. And I had never had someone say that to me in my life. Um, something so profound and yet something so simple. Um, and then I just broke down. I was like, I, I think that's true. And, I'm, and I know that, you know, my family's going to hate me and I'm going to lose all my friends and what happens when I go home. And so um, she helped me lean into my identity and at least feel comfortable saying it out loud. I didn't know what it meant beyond that. Uh, and then I came home, and I didn't last very long. Um, I, it was just eating me inside that all of these people didn't know this thing about me. And I should say that it, it's, I was 
under the assumption that you had to share that information, that you know you couldn't keep it a secret, that it was um, your responsibility as a, a queer person to you know come out to everyone, which is totally bogus. You don't have to do that. Um, and then I I uh, was just convinced, was convinced that I would lose them, that my family would be so embarrassed of me um, and mad at me. So I wrote a letter. Um, I handed it to my mom and I said, I'm so sorry. And I left and I, I had already packed my bags and I went to a friend's house and spent the next couple months couch surfing and um, occasionally sleeping in my car and had no idea what to do next. Um, but it's important to point out that that story ended in a really good way. Um, my parents had no idea what it was like to raise a gay son. Uh, we never talked about gay people. But the thing that they cared more about was keeping me alive. And I think they knew how much I was hurting and how dark of a place I was in. Um, and my mom called me one day and she just said, you need to come home and we'll figure it out. Just come home and we'll figure it out. And I drove right to my parents' house and just collapsed in my mom's arms. And my mom is home watching my kids right now. My parents are our biggest allies. They put love and family above all of that fear um, and asked all the wrong questions and the right questions. We had the hard conversations um, and they're the reason I'm here today. Hmm. Do you, had you not gone to Germany, do you think you would have come out around the same time? Do you think it was building up in you enough that you were about to burst that dam anyway soon? No. Or really? No, I, I was in a pretty bad spot. Um, I think, I think it was just a, who knows, luck, kismet. But I, I think all, thank God, all of those things lined up because I hated myself in high school. I mean, I was so mad at this person. You hated your life or you hated yourself? Well, kind of both. But I didn't know that it was okay to be myself. Yeah. I didn't know that it was okay to be gay. Um, so I just, I could not see more than two steps in front of me. And I, I don't know what would have happened had I stuck around because I was just in such a dark place pretending to be somebody that I wasn't. And I'm so glad I got that experience of, you know, getting out of that bubble, making friends, seeing the world, um, and thank God, you know, meeting people who allowed me um, to come out with all that confidence to go back home. I mean, it was messy and it was rocky and um, I'm just so grateful that it lined up that way because uh, I don't know what would have happened to, to that kid. We talk a lot about the importance of coming out, but not in this way in which you said, where you have to feel forced that you have to share with everybody in your life that you're an LGBTQIA plus identified person. But at the same time, the importance of the folks around you that create that safe space. So now that you're a parent... Uh, also an educator and an advocate, and have had these experiences that many of us won't have, being in the news and uh, this thing, you know, experiences of being a spouse or somebody who ran for president of the United States. And so it's not all glamorous. Um, I guess what would you say to a young Chaston these days so that they don't fall into that place where? one day they say, I, I hated my life, I hated who I was. Yeah, yeah uh, the whole epilogue is a conversation with young me. And uh, I just wish that that kid would have known that he was so cool. You know, I was so funny and creative and energetic and uh, inventive. And, uh, you know, I was writing the plays in the basement, like, who wasn't? And, you know, <laughs> like... All the signs were there, but, uh, you know, I was really, I was a cool kid, but I was so wrapped up in the opinions of other people, and I was so busy worrying about meeting all of their expectations that I didn't realize that I was pretty cool, that being creative is cool, that being academically gifted is cool. Um, I just wish that kid would have known, you know, don't pay attention to all of these people because one day you will forget that they exist. I ran into people from high school in Target back home. I have no idea what their name is. <laughs> and not, not, I don't mean that as an insult to them, but like I remember 
at one point in my life, I was so worried about what that person thought of me, you know? And uh, that's, what I, that's what I write to Young Chasson. It's like, just focus on all of the things that make you different and beautiful because when you lean into those differences, that's where you unleash your true power. There's power in difference and power in leaning into all of the things that make you different from everybody else. And you invented the digital post-it notes of today. It's from Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. Uh-huh. They invented post-it notes. They made that up to be cool. Anyway. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Sorry. Showing my age, 90s kid, John. Well, it, it, like that makes me, I, anytime I don't know a 90s reference, like, was I sheltered? You know? You, you were four. You were a four H kid. I, I forget. Yeah, I was busy yeah. mucking the barn. I guess. Yeah. But should should be pointed out, he was a good four H kid. You were successful at it. Well, yeah. You know, this is a this is a phenomenon that happens for a lot of queer people, right? To distract other people from um, this thing that you're so worried about. That we we try to excel at everything that we do, so outperform everybody else. Um, so I really leaned in on the four H. I went to the showmanship classes and thought like the best way to distract everyone from this like effeminate kid in Wranglers is to win the blue ribbons. And if I win the blue ribbons, at least I'm impressive. And I'll talk about that, not the fact that, you know, there might be something else going on there. Well, it's just such, I mean, being a teenager, regardless of what your sexuality or your identity is, is a very fraught time because every one of them, even the, popular kids they're dealing with self-doubt they're dealing with worries they're dealing with family issues they're dealing with that separation as they kind of become their own person separation yeah. from their parents so then when you layer on this like you said this discovering you're different there's that and then there's will the reaction to that be positive or negative yeah so you talked a bit about your conversation to yourself, what you'd want to reassure your younger self at the time. Would you have recommended that your middle school or high school self come out? Or would you have said that's not a safe place yet for you? Oh, it was absolutely unsafe to be out really? at that time, that place. Um, I, I mean, I grew up um, in the era of Matthew Shepard. Um, I growing up in rural conservative Michigan, I mean, that Matthew Shepard told me that if you come out, you'll die. And I was so terrified of that. And I learned that from such a young age. Um, I was barely 10. And just starting to grapple with some of the things that um, were going on in my head and just starting to find the vocabulary for it. And the way I was finding that vocabulary was by people telling me that that was bad. So it was like, well, if this thing is true, then you might die. You might get bullied. You might get, you know, really bad things could happen to you. So, you know, if in the pretend scenario, if I went back in time, mm-hmm. I would definitely tell that kid to probably stay in the closet. And that's really sad um, because the world just wasn't ready, you know. Um, and I, th- I don't know. It's a, it's a fraught one. Because you want every you want every kid to be their truest self. Problem with asking and telling kids, even with a book like this, and today, today, even even with that, is it's hard to say. Be yourself. Lean into everything that makes you different. Um, come out. Bust down the door. Right? Because it's not safe for everybody to do that. Still. Um, so I also talk about how safety is the most important thing. And to know that there are still people out here backing you up who believe in you. And if you feel defined by your surroundings, you know, the world around you is telling you that you don't fit and you feel unsafe. Your safety has to come first. But know that there's a wider world out here um, waiting to support you. That's why I really sincerely have to thank you for the young adult version of your memoir. It's so important that we have mentorship. Good segue to bullying. You had talked about being bullied all your life. Right. And uh, even till this very moment in time. (laughs) And, you know, the big question that I have for you right now, I think as of April 2023, there are over 400 anti-LGBTQIA plus bills that are being passed here in the United States. 
And a lot of these states are focused in the Midwest and states like Kentucky, Tennessee, and also, you know, Florida. Hello. Um, yeah. Talk to us about how you handle bullying this day. And, and this, in my opinion, at least, this is the most aggressive form of bullying ever. Yeah. It's a point of a human rights violation, in my opinion, with these laws that are being passed that are focused on LGBTQIA plus youths, bathroom bills, yeah. books being stripped away, you know, uh, in the school or classrooms, preventing kids from learning about lived experiences and history and LGBTQIA plus people? That's a very lighthearted question. Um, there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, you know, to young people, I, I always just want to apologize on behalf of the adults that we hold young people to such higher standards than elected officials. So I often think about if some of these Congress members were in my classroom, how, you know, how I would have responded as a teacher. I mean, the things that they get away with saying and doing, the behavior that is now just expected of elected officials is disgusting. We hold eighth graders to higher standards of decorum and empathy, you know? So to the young people, I say, I'm sorry. But know that there are really good people trying to do the right thing. And unfortunately, in our media ecosystem, on the news and social media, you only hear, you often only hear about the worst actors. So there are over 400 members of the House of Representatives, right? And we typically only hear about a handful of them because they're out there acting like cartoon characters. And there are, you know, 400 other people who are just trying to roll up their sleeves and do good work. And I think so much of this anti-LGBTQ nonsense is, is, is void of humanity and purpose. It just works for them. So the thing that's more important to them is finding something that they can get the three C's out of. Clout, clicks, and cash. You want to you wanna get on late night TV? Go out there and say something mean about LGBTQ people. You want to get clicks on that really crazy thing you said on the floor of the house? Say something about LGBTQ people. And if you want to fundraise, you want to raise money from your base, right now it's LGBTQ people. So they're not focused on making your life better, but they're also not focused on making anybody's life better. I, you know, there are hundreds of things we could be working on right now. And rather than working on anything, we're, they are doing something that gets them those three things. Um, and it's, uh, it's disgusting because you would think if you were elected to a position of power and you are tasked with going to Washington and doing the right thing to improve people's lives, make life easier, not harder, and the thing you do in Washington is just pick on vulnerable kids, how do you sleep at night? Uh, that's the thing that bothers me the most is you're talking about really vulnerable young people. Middle school is hard already. And, and now we have adults who have decided that they can make money and get attention off of really vulnerable young people. So to young people, because I see some of you in the audience, I say I'm sorry, but we're working on it. There are really good people. So the thing we can all do is surround ourselves with good people who remind you of your worth, remind you that you are loved, you're perfect just the way that you are, and who jump into the good fight because it matters. I know we're all tired, um, but now is a season of active allyship. And that means doing more than posting on social media. It means you might have to start going to your school board meetings. I know. City council meetings. You might have to join your local chapter at PFLAG. If you're a teacher, you might have to start doing some more research on uh, the, the resources that are put out you know, from the Trevor Project or GLSEN, but surround yourself with good people who remind you why we're all in this fight. Um, and then I think it starts to get a little bit easier when you're reminded daily of what matters because a lot of people on television and in Washington right now are talking about all the things that don't matter. There's the words that are being said uh, in Washington and elsewhere um, that are hurtful and damaging and threatening. Um, 
then there are actual laws being passed. And mm -hmm. I want to focus a bit on Florida's various don't say gay initiatives. And mm -hmm. then they double down on that and further. Um, you mentioned teachers. I mean, they're targeted in some of them. Absolutely. Uh, what, what, what can they do? I mean, what, when, when they're in a state that probably is not likely to flip, so they're going to deal with this atmosphere at least for a while. Yeah. Um, what suggestions would you have for... Yeah, it's hard to sit up here and just say, do the right thing when you're trying to keep your job. And uh, the thing about Florida is you hear, you hear daily stories of people asking their representatives and their government to do right by all of the crises that their state is facing. And this is what we're focused on. But like I said earlier, safety is always the number one thing. I don't, here's the thing, I'll back up a little bit. I don't know how people don't, some people don't respect teachers more. Mm. The fact, if your kid has a teacher, you're so lucky. The fact that teachers aren't leaving that profession in droves right now highlights just how incredible teachers are. And not only are they incredible people, I believe if you're a teacher, you're like born with some you know, special part of your DNA that just says like, sign me up to teach middle school kids, uh, you know, for, for no money, right? <laughs> uh, teachers are just incredible people, but not only are they born with this gift of being, you know, some of the best people, they're also highly trained and educated individuals. So some of these conversations about education, again, are removed from reality. Yeah. If I have a question about a book and whether it is age appropriate or not, do you know who I'm going to ask about that? The librarian, the teacher, not Marjorie Taylor Greene. If I have a question about whether something is appropriate for my child or whether you know, we're meeting state education standards, I'm going to turn to the teacher, the person who went to school, who does the work, who shows up day in and day out, to teach the next generation of American citizens. And so again, this conversation is so void of reality, but, if, but it's so good for them. The fear that they can infuse into the conversation, this boogeyman, that's not happening. And the, the conversation about you know, parental rights just boggles my mind. Are there any teachers in the audience tonight? Thank you so much for your service. How many times, yes, thank you. Can't tell you how many times I've done parent-teacher conferences and like two parents comes. You want to talk about like parents having a voice and showing up, you know, in education. I think any teacher would say, yes, please, parents be involved because I only get your kid for six hours a day, you know. Um, I'll get off my soapbox. I realize where the, the clock is ticking. But um, I think so many of these conversations are just void of that reality. They're not, these problems aren't happening. And you see sometimes where these people are put on the spot, say, give me an example. Yeah. And they don't have one, but it's easier for them. That's the thing. Being big hearted and, and approaching public service with empathy and trying to do the right thing, rolling up your sleeves and, and doing the hard work, it's hard work for a reason. So the easier work for them is to just go on the attack because they don't have to do anything. They just have to go on television and say mean things. And that's really sad. What about parents? I mean, you know, your thoughts on how we have conversations with parents. I think that this, this old page out of the playbook of let's attack, you know, children or let's go after or create the fear around our children, put parents in really hard places. Yeah. And, Today, I think we need way more education on gender identity, gender, you know, expansive identities and diversity around that, right? But yeah. we don't have all those resources, especially in northern Michigan. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how maybe parents can, can articulate this to themselves and their communities, their peers. Yeah. One of the things that irks me is when I see people say, like, Nobody was coming out like this when, you know, I was younger. It's like, yeah, because we were all in the closet and terrified and miserable. And the fact that, like, young people are coming out and the fact that they're able to have more language about their identity is fantastic. And the problem is it was getting better, and now people are still committed to making it worse. And 
it's actually a pretty cool thing when someone can find the language to be their authentic self and then go on with the rest of their life, you know, rather than the alternative. And I don't have to tell you some of that data that the Trevor Project puts out about mental health amongst LGBTQ people. But parenting is one of, one of the greatest things I think you can do. Of course, it's not for everybody, but if you want to be a parent, it's like one of the best jobs I've ever, it is the best job I've ever had. And it's not, it's not a small thing. It's actually a great act of resistance because you get to raise somebody to value other people. You get to teach your kid that it's actually pretty cool to be loving of other people, that everyone gets a seat at the table and that our worldview should be wider and not narrower. And I'm so happy that I get to raise my kids in a home that I wish I would have had when I was younger. I love my parents, but we didn't have some of that progress in my home when I was growing up. But it's pretty cool to watch my mom now following in my footsteps because we know that we want Gus and Penelope to grow up in a home and in a world that values other people and just values the ideas of love and empathy and community. Um, and that, to me is is a, a reminder of, of the good work that we all can do individually. Because if you look at like solving world peace by yourself, that's a pretty big box to check. But if you start breaking down all these goals that you have, you know, bring it down to little things that you can do every day. So I can't, one of the things that is so hard when you're a public person, like I can't make it better every day. And you get some of that vulnerability fatigue that you like carry on your shoulders. Like, I wish I could just make it better and easier. But the thing that I can do today is be a really good dad. And when I was in the classroom, I can be a really good teacher. And I still hear from some of my former students. And it, it always reminds me that they'll tell me a story I don't even remember. But one day, I did one thing that made a huge impact on them. And I'm still hearing about it five years later. So you can do little things along the way. Be a really great teacher. Be a really great whatever it is you are. Make sure that you're making people feel seen and welcome uh, at every table that you're sitting at. Um, and for parents that, you know, it's what a cool thing that we get to do. You know, we get to create the world, at least in our home, um, that we wish we could have had when we were younger. We have a lot of great questions from the audience. Let's try to get to some of these. All right, I'll, I'll stop talking. No, 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 no. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is what we came for. Uh, this person writes, Mr. Chastin Buttigieg, as president of the Gender Sexuality Alliance, I wanted to ask you, when did you start to question your sexuality and when did you realize you were gay? This is from Gigi, grade six, French American. Awesome. Um, I think it was probably around fifth grade that I started to realize something was amiss. Um, and, but I didn't have the language for it, but I definitely was aware enough to know that I wasn't like the other boys. Did I answer the full question? Was there uh, I guess question? when did you then, when did, it, when did you put two and two together and realize oh. you just weren't different, but yeah. yeah, you're gay. Yeah, so it was like, <laughs> oh, there was so much denial. Um, yeah, probably like fifth to seventh grade, it was like confirmed. But again, I was growing up in a time and in a place where I wasn't sure if that was real. So um, I wasn't, I, I didn't know that it was a thing that you could be safely and happily. So I just thought something was wrong with me. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know if that's like a full answer to the question, but I, I think I had like found the vocabulary then like, oh, this thing that they're saying exists is the way that I'm feeling. But the way that I was brought aware of it was in a way that I just thought that something was wrong. Does that like, make sense? Like when Dan Savage tells a story when he realized it and there was other people talking about, you know, these weird gay men who were kissing each other or whatever. And he said, oh, I'm weird like they're weird. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what I was discovering. Um, but I, I, I think like at that point, I thought that there was something that you could do 
you could like write the course, you know, and <laughs> no genes and cows were going to fix that. We're going to keep going with questions. Sure. Yeah. Um, so in the book, he, he, you actually start off talking about working at Starbucks yeah. and you revisit that later on. So this ties it all together. Years ago, I heard a story from a guy who worked at a Starbucks in Wisconsin. Oh, no. He told me about a technique of resistance that staff would do when customers were rude. Oh, God. We'd decaf them, he said. As part of your coming out, do you think you found uh, quiet forms of protest or resistance? Is there a queer version of decafing? I was so nervous that like one of my former peers was here from Starbucks and like, and they're like calling me out for it. Um, I also learned that when I worked at Starbucks, um, you should be really careful with the person who's making your morning coffee. <laughs> All it takes is just a separate button uh, <laughs> to change your morning. Um, that's funny. I'm not saying I did it. Uh, um, a decafing for queer people. I love it. Um, uh, there's a, a mystery series written by, uh, by a, now a dead German writer about this Turkish German private eye. I think it's Kaya Kaya. If you've ever read, they're hilarious and great. The thing is he's always running up against people who are insulting him, whether directly or kind of obliquely because he's Turkish. And so every time he does that, like if they're a customer and they make some slight, he's just like, okay, he's doubling what he's going to charge them. Well, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, one of the best things someone ever told me uh, that I, I picked up from somebody else was um, this was particularly helpful at Starbucks. And, um, and then when I worked with some other teachers who were frustrating and rather than saying the thing that you want to say, you can always just say, have the day you deserve. <laughs> and so sometimes, you know, there, there are these like, like um, corner preachers in Capitol Hill. They, they, um, they just espouse so much hatred and homophobia. And I've used that one a couple times. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a, you're just telling them to have the day that they deserve. Let's do one more, and then I'll throw it back to Michelle. All right. Uh, someone writes, LGBTQIA plus books are suddenly controversial. Um, do you anticipate yours being banned for the same nonsense reasons? And did you have that in mind when writing the book? No, I started writing it over two years ago, and we weren't talking about book bans two years ago. Uh, so I'm surprised uh, that it's coming out now. Um, I taught middle school I wrote a completely age-appropriate book. So if it is banned, it's just politics. So, But like we talked about earlier, so much of that is void from reality. So I'm you know, under no illusion of what might happen. Um, but all the more reason to make sure that um, people have access to it. I'm just flipping the pages to look for something that they could ban. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll read very quickly, though. I mean, it just happened to flip to page 90. You're different is a pretty common excuse for kids to pick on one another. Yeah, so what? We're all different. That's a good thing. But hearing you're not a real man or God hates you hurt me much worse. Hmm. It's kind of perfect that I flipped to that page. So my question to you today is just, you know, sharing some of the, some of your lived experiences, um, of what you see, you hear people say to you that hurt you. And if you read everything, every comment online, yeah. or do you ignore it? I mean, now I, you know, I'm grown up and I, I built some thick armor. You know, when I was that kid, I had no armor. I was like, your heart's on the outside of your chest. And all it took was a, a mean look in the hallway and you'd start thinking about it for the rest of the day, you know? Um, so, of course, there's nonsense out there, and there's a lot of noise. Um, there's also a lot of bat farms. So, usually, if someone's account is like the picture of a cat smoking a cigar, and the, you know the the username is like 48 characters, it's like I don't think you're a real person. Um, I don't think your opinion matters. But the thing that we get to decide is how much weight we assign to the things that other people say. 
And so I try to go through life without accepting um, the opinions or advice of other people that I didn't ask it from. Um, and I, I love my husband. I love my family. I love who I get to be today. I know who I am. I know what my mission is. I know what I stand for. When I was younger, I didn't. And so now, uh, you know, when you come face to face with some of that stuff, you get, to, you know, you get to grow up and be the person who gets to tell them to have the day that they deserve. It's a t-shirt somewhere <laughs> on this stage, I'm sure. I oh, should have brought merch. Yeah. <laughs> so when your kids get old enough, um, and assuming the universe online is much the same, um, what's your approach going to be for social media for them? Are you going, can you protect them from it? Can you inoculate them from it? Can you decaf them from it? <laughs> I don't know. I terrifies me. Um, because great things can come from social media. Um, but also really bad things can come from social media. Some of the biggest headaches I ever had as a teacher um, came from social media. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm scared because I think social media has a way of highlighting all of the things that remind us of how we're being measured up against other people. So um, I want, you know, my kids one day to find community and connection and humor from social media. I mean, I like TikTok videos too. Um, I'm not allowed to be on TikTok, so I'm a millennial. I wait for them to filter down to Instagram and then I, and then I can see them. But, you know, I'd, we all enjoy social media in some aspect, but then I worry about my daughter logging onto social media and having the world, you know, remind her that um, there are really ridiculous standards for her to meet. And uh, uh, that worries me. Mm. But I think the thing that we can do, so the thing that I could do as a teacher, the thing you can do as a parent, is make sure that your kid feels comfortable coming to you and talking to you, whether there's a problem or whether they have questions or whether they're afraid or whether somebody made them feel um, you know, in a negative way. And that's such a gift when, when a kid comes to you and asks for help or is scared or is concerned. So if one of my middle schoolers came to me and said, this thing happened and I don't know how to feel about it, that told me that I was a person that was trusted. And I think if, you're, if your kid comes to you, um, that's actually a, a, a great sign of your parenting skills. And so let's just work to make sure that we establish that trust and those boundaries and um, go from there. Aside from LGBTQIA plus issues, as a parent, as an educator, as a citizen of this country, as a voter, you know, what are some things that you are deeply thinking about? What are some issues that you're concerned of? <laughs> we'll be here all night. It's ah, it's such a heavy one. I I uh, certainly now have a deeper appreciation for parents now that I am one and for any parent in the room you know once you become a parent it is like the hearts on your hearts on the outside of your chest and I'm just so worried about the world that we're building and that we're going to leave for our kids um man before kids I was just like barreling through life a lot of care in the world and now I like cry when I get on an airplane, you know, like leave my kids. I'm just so, it's, I hear the ticking of the clock in the back of my head, like the future is coming and like your kids are growing up and they just like every day they're older and older. I'm like so worried that I can't fix it all before they start asking questions. Um, so everything that, it's just everything. But the thing I was talking about earlier is when you, when you get overwhelmed by that and it seems like you can't solve anything, then you start breaking it down to the little things that you can solve. Um, but, man, climate, mm -hmm. um, equality, it's just those are really, really big things and you can't tackle them on your own. So I focus on the things that I can do as a dad. Um, but I'm sure any parent can, can relate um, to the the fear of just not having done enough. So a couple of questions that I'm going to, that are similar. So I'll merge them together. And okay. is, do you think your and your husband's expressions of, you know, gender has impacted or affected um, your popularity among the general populace and, and the, the reaction you get? 
And I think the action, the answer is probably, well, yes, but maybe how, if yes. Interesting. Our expression of gender? Um, maybe the, 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 the fact that you're open about it, the, the way you act with each other in public. Like the fact that I'm open about being a man? Gay. Uh, yes. yeah. You mean being a gay man? I assume they meant. I'm going to go with being a gay. Yeah, there, we can get into gender politics. Yeah. Of a whole different types. I don't think we want to. <laughs> well, certainly some of the, some folks on the right are they 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 blur their lines between gender and, and sexuality and identity. Um, they don't they can't figure out what they don't like. So they just don't like anything. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, one thing that was hard for me in the beginning of being a public person because it happened so fast um, was this sense that I needed to be perfect all the time. And in pursuit of that perfection, I started forgetting who I was. Um, and I eventually got to the point where I felt like unless I just decide to be exactly who I am, it'll just crush me. So I just leaned into everything. Um, and when my husband was on the campaign trail, I just started opening up about all of these things that I felt like I had to keep locked up inside. And I discovered that when you're more vulnerable, you allow other people to see themselves in your story. And there's great strength in vulnerability. Uh, so I talked about a lot of that stuff, running away from home. Um, and so many people had shared slivers of life I mean, you connect with people about that because you opened up because you told your story somebody else got to feel seen and the thing about being an openly gay couple um i i feel I, f I feel some of that similar pressure but the thing that i can do is just be myself and uh i don't want to be i don't i don't want to be everything for everyone because I want there to be more representation. I want there to be more, I want people to see themselves in more than just one couple. So I, I can only be myself. But the thing that comes with that privilege of having a platform, having a microphone, getting to go on the news and talk about things that you care about, is that you also get to uplift the stories and experiences and existences of other people. Um, so for me as an advocate, when I was on the campaign trail now, just um, out here as author advocate, I make it a point to, uh, as your teacher said, put your listening ears on and do as much, as much listening as I can and learning from other people as I can. Um, so maybe I won't be, you know, the best example for everybody. Maybe I won't be everything for everyone. Um, and that's okay. But it's important for me to just live my life authentically. So I, you know, love my husband. I love being a dad, go to the playground. Surely you're conscious of you're the two dads at the playground uh, with a kid. But the thing I just keep reminding myself is like, you're here for a reason. Um, and just, just lean into that, lean into that purpose. I'll follow up on that. Yeah. Something you and your husband are both known for and praised for is your clear communications of what you believe and your ability to convince people in this horribly polarized society. Not that you convince everyone who hears you, but I mean, you know, seeing your husband go on, you know, uh, some news channel where they think he might not have a friendly reception, but he's great at communicating what he says and fr reframing things yeah. that makes people say, yeah, okay, I understand that. And you too, you're, 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 you make it look easy, and I, I, I guess, do you spend a lot of time with that, focusing on that, training yourself on that, or does that come naturally to you, the way you communicate? Well, I was a theater kid, so <laughs> I've got, you know, I've got that going on. Um, I think we have a shared sense of, uh, of like, a, a mission and a purpose for being public people, and that is finding the humanity in all of it. Um, what I was trying to get at with being your authentic self versus like pretending to be someone else is like I couldn't sit up here in a in a room full of people with like talking points because I would just it would just eat me up just pretending to be somebody that I'm not. Um, and I think at the root of all that we do, whether you're running for president, um, 
uh, or it's Chastin Buddha Judge Day, um, is just finding the humanity in all of it. So that I I I can't speak about everything because I'm not you know an expert in everything, mm-hmm. but I am an expert in my story and my existence and my purpose. And I think that breaking things down and bringing it back down to back down to our shared experiences, whether it's a parent, public servant, a teacher, we all have these shared experiences. And I think so much of the noise machine, like we were talking about earlier with the anti-LGBTQ bills, it just, it's like void of empathy and it's void of existence and reality. And so I just want to focus on like the things that I can talk about and try to find shared experiences along the way. And some of that just comes with you know, with time, he makes it look a lot easier than I think it is sometimes. Well, and there are politicians in particular who have been around for decades yeah. who could very well be speaking from the heart, but they sound like, because they've been so trained that they sound like they are reading talking points. Yeah. And I don't want to make like generalizations, but I think if you, for me, I just find great purpose in what I'm doing. And I, and I think for some people, it, it just becomes like all they have. Like the power is all they have. And then it starts to become like their, pur- their purpose is to be in that position of power. That's where they get their, their purpose from. Um, and for me, I, I just feel like at least right now, you know, writing this book and, and using this platform and going on book tour and talking about these things. Like, I know what my mission is, and I, mm. I think some people have lost that. I, I know a, a person or two, you know, on the whole power trip thing, and, you know, well, we'll talk about that another time. We talked about how you've dealt with bullying and how you've dealt with some of the stuff that's going on now, the comments that you get. But what about um, the stories or the responses from people that both you and your husband have changed their lives or their views. Can you share maybe some of the most memorable ones? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we've talked about so many having things, and this is the first book tour stop, so I'm starting to think that we might need, like, a seventh-inning stretch uh, along the book tour. Like, if anyone just needs to, like, wiggle it out and laugh or something, I'll try to be <laughs> quick-hearted. Um, so I, mean, I might just be in my own head about it, but um, I hope my trauma isn't bumming you out. Uh, uh, that is one of the coolest things that happens in my life. And it always sneaks up and surprises me. Uh, when I was talking about breaking things down to things that you can control, and um, you write a book, and it goes out into the world, and you kind of forget about it. Um, and then somebody comes up to you in like the produce section at Trader Joe's, and like they're already in tears. Oh. Um, and they can't find the words and they're telling you about how, wh- what it meant to them to, to see you wherever you were, you know, on their cover of a magazine or on the news, you know, or just the fact that you exist. And it just blows me out of the water every time. Because, uh, you know, just, you just keep trucking along with life, trying to do the right thing. And you forget that sometimes your existence in of itself means something to somebody. And that's really, really cool. And meeting parents, especially, who are f- fans of mine, my, my parents, um, that they've learned the story of my parents, parents who called their kid back home, who you know, fumbled and uh, just wanted to do the right thing. And I, I've met people who just say, I'm such a big fan of your mom. And it's really, really cool um, to know that it means something. Um, yeah, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the best things to know that like that scared kid had no idea that he would get to be this person one day. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Remind me again, Terry and Sherry. Sherry. Yeah. Terry and Sherry. Thank you for this really cool person <laughs> here. Hope you're tuning in. <laughs> thank you. A comment from someone, your voice and story is so needed to be heard in the San Joaquin Central Valley. Please come see us. So oh, add that great. to your list. 
Um, and then a question that actually is right along the lines of what you were just talking about. After you came out, how did your family deal with the community? I mean, was there any, were there any less open-minded relatives that they needed to communicate with or any problems that they dealt with? No, the, the biggest thing was like, don't tell grandma. It'll kill her, you know, that, but literally. So, you know, months go by after coming out. You're just trying to figure it out. It's like the, the elephant in the room. I'm back home, but we're like not really talking about it. Um, you know, and, it, and it's like, just what, whatever you do, don't tell grandma. And then that started eating me up because this person I loved so much, I felt like I wanted her to know. Um, and I think I wanted to know that she loved me. And I was so afraid of that. And uh, yeah, I think it was Thanksgiving. And uh, I asked grandma to go for, um, for a walk with me. And it's one of my favorite stories in the book. It was one of the hardest stories to write in the book. Um, just so nervous that this powerhouse of a woman was going to hate me. Very religious woman. Very religious woman. Uh, as I was coming out to her, I was like watching the rosary dangle in her car. We made our way to her her Buick LeSabre. And uh, um, this is great backup music for this story. Thank you so much. <laughs> Might be a good reminder to please silence like, your phones. Can we get some steam from the for the coming out story? Uh, <laughs> uh, and I couldn't even find the words. Uh, I, I, I got out like grandma I and it just broke down. And she just grabbed my arm and she said, I know. And I love you just the same. And uh, it was so cool um, that uh, I got to keep her around, you know? And uh, yeah. You also include a, a story in the book uh, that she did attend your wedding. She did. She, uh, we, uh, uh, she, her, her lungs were failing her at the end of her life, and she was determined to make it to that wedding. So she had the oxygen tank on and walked down the aisle. She read the gospel and there was something about her voice that just, it was so cool. Like we are talking about like the simplest things that you can do for other people. And I just knew that at the end of her life, she had this full circle moment, you know? Um, and then she passed a couple weeks after our wedding. And uh, it was really, it was just, spectacular that she was there and it was there was so much closure in that moment for me all these people i was so afraid of hurting and losing and then they're at your wedding you know so great well love you grandma yeah she's yeah. she's probably like playing bingo up there <laughs> you know looking down and uh probably really proud so yeah you spent so much of your youth uh young adulthood um just dying to get out of your hometown in Michigan. Yeah. Um, you now live in Michigan again. What mm -hmm. drew you back to that state? It's in my blood. I want to be part of, I want to be part of change. And I feel like Traverse City itself is experiencing this renaissance. And uh, I just want to be part of it. You know, I've been lucky to travel the world and go different places. And I, I'm also just like deeply Midwestern. Uh, I just have to be in the Midwest. Um, I went to one of your restaurants last night and asked for ranch and they offered me truffle aioli and I don't know. <laughs> like, absolutely not. <laughs> no. So I love I love the Midwest. Um, and and seeing the progress that has happened in my hometown uh, is incredible. The there was a sticker when I was younger that was a, a rainbow it was like puzzle pieces of a, a rainbow. Um, like holding hand, like puzzled people holding graphic design in the 90s. And uh, it just had a rainbow on it. And they wanted to put it on all the city. They put it on all the city vehicles and it said, we are Traverse City. Um, and those stickers got ripped off of all those city vehicles within weeks because the homophobic backlash was so strong. Another thing that told me as a young person, like, don't stick your neck out. Pride in Traverse City is like incredible. Painted crosswalks, pride flags down Main Street, um, Front Street, got a Traverse City cred. Um, so cool. It's just the, the pride march that I attended with my family in Traverse City was the coolest 
Pride March I've ever been to. No corporate sponsorships, just thousands of people marching through the street demanding visibility and equality. And I got to do that holding my mom's hand. It was like, I want to be here. I want to be part of this change. And we can all, you know, find ways to be part of the change. So for me, it was a no-brainer to to go back to Michigan. I just had to convince the other half to. <laughs> and they and they serve ranch. Yeah. Uh, during Pride. Buckets of ranch. <laughs> all the ranch dressing and yeah, cheese curds and cherry pie you could want. I said that because I know you're from Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. um, no animosity. There are literally stores that sell nothing but cheese curds. <laughs> yeah. I wish I were kidding. It's not a real cheese curd if it doesn't squeak. <laughs> right? Am I right? Yeah. Anybody else from Wisconsin? Sorry. This is a, it's a truffle aioli city. <laughs> <laughs> truffle garlic aioli. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, you talk a lot about these, you know, you, Actually, were featured in commercials. Um, wanted to act. You were really into. You mentioned it a couple times. Loving Broadway. I mean, yeah. Could it be next? Broadway? Uh, no. I, I will. Sure. Put that or, music back. Yeah. Uh, we were going to give you the opportunity. I mean, the, the stage is quite small. It's not, you know. <laughs> but if you wanted to try, do roses turn from gypsy right now for everyone? Um. I don't know what's next. Uh, I've been working on a children's book, one that I you know, wish I had for Gus and Penelope. There aren't a lot of children's books with two dads in them. Um, so that's been a fun little side project. Uh, would, but I, I and don't... if you did the same thing, that would be cool because then you'd have the original children's book. And like with this one, you could do the young adults version for older <laughs> children. Look at that. Yeah. I like it. Um, who knows? Uh, but... Uh, what a gift to have the opportunity to think about what's next. Um, so yeah. yeah. I have one last question and I'll throw it back to John for his last question to Great. wind down our talk. And that is, um, well, it's a two part question. Maybe. Sure. <laughs> you know, during the presidential campaign, it was exciting for me to think about one, there would be a different way of describing first Man, husband, I, yeah, what would first you have been? First, first gentleman, first, thank you, does what you yeah. would be called, right? Yeah. yeah. And then thinking about what you would be wearing during the <laughs> inauguration. But this really is just a question if you think that we will have an openly LGBTQIA plus president in our future someday. Why not? Why not? Yeah. One of the funniest interviews I've ever seen my husband do is someone asked someone asked him that question, and he said, "I mean, we might have already had one." And the uh, <laughs> excuse me, um, and the interviewer said, "Do you really think we've already?" He was so serious, <laughs> and and Pete said, um, "My gaydar doesn't work that well in the present. I don't think it works, you know, retroactively, whatever." He's so much more eloquent with his jokes, but um, why not, you know? Um, if we all keep working towards, you know, equality and keep telling the right stories. Um, and the thing I love about, about Pete, stay focused on the work, you know? Um, do the right thing and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Someone from the audience asks, do you miss anything about your life from when you, before you became national figures? Oh, just, yeah, um, blending in. Uh, you go to Target in sweatpants, you know, no one cares. Sometimes I, sometimes, sometimes I, I like, I have to get dressed up to go out. I like know people, you know, will, will see you. And I just don't look good in like, like the, the right out of bed look, you know, and some celebrities are like, get photographed. And they're like, gosh, they can do anything. And I, yeah, I got to do my hair before I go to Starbucks or something. <laughs> um, so blending in would be nice sometimes um, just to, to walk through life, never worrying about whether someone was like taking a picture of you or following you or, you know, recording you. Um, that's nice. But there are so many great benefits that come from having a platform. Um, so I don't think I'd trade it. 
I, I really like um, I really like that I got to grow up to be this person and uh, turn around and think about what I want to give back and how I can use that, you know, for good. It's um, it's been pretty great. So I'll t I'll take the the weird photos and uh, you know that it's a pretty good trade off, I think. Thanks, <laughs> Michelle. Chasten Buttigieg, thank you so much for sharing everything you. that you wanted to tell us tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks again to our special guest on today's program. And last but not least, thanks to all of you in the room and everyone watching and listening online. You can find more programs at commonwealthclub.org. Thanks and have a great week. And happy Chasten Buttigieg Day. Thanks so You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.